The chance to float the Smith River is sought after by rafters across Montana and beyond. Incredible canyon scenery, diverse wildlife, and sheer remoteness make this the most unique float in Montana. Come along on today's Nature Journal as we explore this 59-mile stretch of river. Hi, and welcome to the FVCC Nature Journal, the podcast for everyone who loves nature. We're coming to you from the beautiful campus of Flathead Valley Community College at the foot of the Swan Mountain Range of Northwest Montana. I'm John Fraley, longtime instructor in wildlife conservation here at the college, and I also served 40 years with Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks. Our producer is Colin Burkhart, and thanks to Morgan Ray, the library director, for offering the library as our podcast home. Well, today we're going to talk about floating Montana's most unique and spectacular river, the Smith River. And we're joined by Kevin Fraley, who's a, a fisheries ecologist in Alaska and has floated all over Alaska. And actually, Kevin, we just went and got off the Smith River a few weeks ago. So we're going to be talking about floating that. And Kevin, Kevin, tell us a little bit about yourself, other than the fact that you're my son. Well, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, uh, floating rivers is one of my passions. Up in Alaska, I do a lot of floating on the National Wild and Scenic Rivers up there. And had always heard about the Smith River, and I was really excited to get a chance to come down here with Dad and float that this summer. And as a fisheries ecologist, you have that that special love for the aquatics and so on too, and that really comes through. So we just got off the river, and it really lived up to its reputation for stunning scenery. It's the river itself is 121 miles long, the whole river. But this float is very unique. It's 59 miles, one put in and one takeout, right? That's right, yep. And you have to put in for a lottery uh, permit to float this river. So in February of every year, you can go onto Fish, Wildlife, and Parks online licensing system and put in for three different dates. You pick your first, second, and third choice. You pay a $10 application fee, and then the dates range from April to October, and there's different odds for each of those. You can try to select those and, and win a chance to go on the Smith. And we looked at our odds for the dates we went, and it was about an 8% chance of being successful and then the peak season, it can be as low as 0.05% chance. Yeah. So. And it's the only river in Montana where you have to have a permit to even float it. You can't go on it if you don't have a permit. Like the other day, we were floating the North Fork, and you can float, anybody can float it anytime they want. We even saw some of the officials there. But the Smith is a very sought-after, very rare opportunity to float. Now, Lewis and Clark reached the mouth of the Smith River as they were coming up the Missouri on July 15, 1805. And they said... We dine just above the entrance of a beautiful river, 80 yards wide, which falls in on the larboard side. In honor of Mr. Robert Smith, the Secretary of the Navy, we called it Smith's River. Dreyer wounded a deer which ran into the river. My dog pursued it, caught it, drowned it, and brought it to shore at our camp. <laughs> so that river was, and the usual things happen in that river all the time. So as we said, it's the only river in Montana which permitted floating. It mu you must apply in February, and it's managed by FWP's Park Division. But there's a lot of U.S. Forest Service campgrounds and also. Tell us how it, signed, it sets up with the uh, Camp Baker and Eden Bridge. Yeah, well, when you start at Camp Baker, you're kind of in this area of farmland and plains and scrubland in central Montana there. And as you start floating down the river, you get into these beautiful limestone canyons and cliffs. And, yeah, it's just uh, very different from the scenery we have in northwest Montana here. And you can use a variety of different kinds of watercraft. Uh, we used the inflatable kayak you brought down from Alaska and an alpaca. But some people were still getting rafts down there, although it was tough, and canoes. 
we do when we did it it was only it was only 130 cfs i think so that's that's small but tell us how it worked with that kayak and alpaca if that's what folks have yeah and so you can look at the flows for the float on, on the usgs stream gauge for camp baker and fish life and parks recommends different flow levels depending on which boat you're using and when we went it was pretty much lower than any of the recommended flows. So we were going at, I think, 130 to 140 cubic feet per second discharge for the river, which made us scrape along in certain places. We had to walk the rafts over riffles and that sort of thing. So most people like to go a little earlier in the season where there's more water or they can be sure there's more water. Though when we did it in July, you're less assured to be able to have a lot of water to float. But yes, we did. We used a, a pack raft and then an inflatable kayak to go down which was great because those are very lightweight, yet you can carry enough gear for the four days of floating that we did. We only had to hop out and drag probably make six times total maybe, but you had to push your way through a lot of it, even with a pack raft. So nine parties per day launch at Camp Baker, and you choose your campsites when you launch so that everybody isn't crowded into certain campsites over that four-day float. There's about 30 campsites down the river. Tell us how that works where you choose your campsites. I thought that was pretty unique when I got there. Yeah, it's changed a bit in the times of COVID, but when we did it, we arrived at the Camp Baker River put-in, and we were able to put these little golf tees in the campsite that we wanted to pick for each night. So you kind of self-register, and that's what they do at low flows. When it's more competitive early in the season, usually a ranger will call you, Mm -hmm. or you have to show up and do a first-come, first-serve type thing to pick your campsite. So very highly regulated, but we were lucky we even got down it at 130 because after we were down it for several days, looked at it, it was at 90. I don't know how we could have done it at 90 CFS. But this thing is unbelievably spectacular, this canyon, and it has this incredible senior. We were, the night before, we stayed in White Sulphur Springs, and we were in a hotel, and we were watching Bonanza. And, and when you get out on this river, look, you're, wait, you're waiting for Haas and Pa to come riding over the ridge. It's just old west country all the way down with these spectacular uh, cliffs as well. And they're limestone in nature. There's even some caves in there and some Indian petroglyphs. What I noticed is the cliff walls were so high that you have to lean back to see them or to photograph them. I had to lean way back. And it's hard to get a person in the cliff walls both in. So that was very interesting. And that's, that's limestone. So and tell us about some of the wildlife we saw. Man, we, it was unbelievable. Yeah, we saw a lot more than we expected. We saw mule deer, white-tailed deer, one black bear, a lot of Canada geese. And because those cliffs are there, there's a lot of birds like raptors and swallows. So we saw golden eagles, bald eagles, falcons, different hawk species. It was really incredible, the, the bird life especially that we saw there. And that, those geese, describe those geese. They were incredible. We saw hundreds of these geese, and it was you know, fairly young geese with, with their parents or their, their mom. And they seemed like they weren't able to fly, so maybe they were in molting condition or something where they just weren't interested in flying away. So we got very close to them within 10 feet or so of some of them, and usually geese will fly away yeah. or, or honk at you, but they were very docile. That was all the way down the river. I mean, I don't think we had a river bend that there weren't at least some geese, and we had them hanging around our camp at night yeah. and everything else. So that was uh, one of the things that really struck me. And, of course, we saw deer. We saw a bear not too far away from one of our campsites. And raptors, talk about the raptors. That was really pretty awesome, too. Yeah, golden eagles, bald eagles, different falcons and, and hawks. And, yeah, we, we even saw a hawk flying around with a snake clutching its talons. So. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing, the raptor. And, boy, what about those turkey vultures, huh? Yeah, that was interesting. One of the, the stops along the river, there was five or six turkey vultures just circling over us while we were fishing. I hadn't seen those birds very close up before, but it was cool to see just how they 
glide effortlessly around the canyons. When I came around that one bend, they were on the on the river. They were on along the edge of the river. I've never seen turkey vultures so close. Man, they're they're huge. They're just huge. So we floated a few weeks ago when it was about 130 cubic feet per second, very low. The water was really warm. It was up to 73 degrees, and there was hoodal regulations on fishing. Explain that. Yeah, that's when the water gets so hot that catching fish would stress them out during the hottest part of the day. So Fish, Wildlife, and Park sets regulations that you have to only fish between midnight and 2 p.m. the following day. That's when the water is coolest and the fish would be least stressed if you were catching them. So when we're floating down and fishing, we were, you know, okay, we have an hour left to fish. All right, it's 2 o'clock, we have to stop. So that's, that's how that works. And we, we caught the, the main species in there. Tell us a little about how the fishing was for those main species that we caught. Yeah, the, the fishing was kind of patchy, so we would float for maybe even a couple miles before we'd find a hole where a bunch of fish were rising, and we'd look for that. And then we'd start casting to that with our flies. We use dry flies and, and wet flies. And in the river, there's a couple species of native fish, the Rocky Mountain whitefish and the cutthroat trout, and then several non-native species like brown trout, rainbow trout, and brook trout. And we caught a few of most of those except for the, the brook trout. But the fish were you know pretty smart, and I think they get fished a fair bit. And so oftentimes our fly would be floating along and fish would be rising all around it, but it was hard to get one to, to actually bite, although we did have some success at times. Yeah, when the biggest one we caught was about a 17-inch, 2-pound brown trout, which was a very pretty fish. You know, you don't see many brown trout in western Montana, so it was neat to do that. It would be much better fishing, I think, earlier in the season when the water temperature wasn't, because the water temperature was reaching 73 degrees. And like you said, they keyed in these little mayflies and caddisfly hatches, and they would only eat those. <laughs> you float right by them, and, and they'd be rising all around your fly. But we did get some decent fishing. Now, many of the campgrounds are beautiful. About There's about 30 altogether. And then they have metal fire rings, latrines, and attractants stored in bear barrels that they demand good bear storage, or hung 10 feet up and 4 feet out. It's a great family trip, especially if you're going during the flow of about 250 CFS or greater. But there's one really odd place on the river, about 30 miles down. Tell us about that. Because you're in the middle of nowhere, you know. And then you come around this bend, and what do you see? Yeah, on our second day, we had been floating through pretty, you know, stretches where there were not many private properties, that sort of thing. And then all of a sudden, we came around a bend, and there was a bunch of teepees and these old covered wagons (laughs) along the side of the river. And it turned out to be a little store, kind of a little oasis along the river, that was selling ice cream sandwiches and pop and food. And so we pulled in and, and got a little bit of stuff there. And there was a support animal there. What was that animal? Yeah, there was a calf, a bull calf cow named Dot that was the emotional support animal we got to pet and hang out with there. So it was a little bit odd. It kind of was a culture shock for me. I was like in, in shock. And Kevin said, didn't you bring some money? We knew there was something like this. And I just looked through my pack. I couldn't find it. And you know, I was just sort of shocked because we've been going through wilderness for 30 miles. And then here's this gala-looking you know, signs and this cow running around, the guy going, hey, come on up. So I, I had ice cream sandwich and a pop. What did, I think we all did, didn't we? Yep. So that was pretty interesting. So when you get out at Eden Bridge, you've had a long float. And you're kind of ready to rest after all that paddling. So we used a shuttle service and spotted our car. So all we had to do is load up and, and head for Great Falls. So tell us how the shuttle service worked. Yeah, well, when if you're successful for your float permit, Oftentimes, a bunch of shuttle services and and other businesses will send you some mail that offer those services. And for the shuttle, it's it's over 100 miles on a pretty bad dirt road. So it's really nice to not have to do that at the end of a long float. So we hired someone to to take our car over to the takeout for us. And then we were able to just get out and drive a paved road back home, which was great. Yeah, it was really great. What an incredible float. I'd recommend it for anyone. 
So if you're looking for the float of a lifetime, start applying for a permit to float the Smith. You won't be disappointed. That's all the time we have for this episode of the FBCC Nature Journal. Thanks for joining us. I'm John Fraley, and I'll see you next time.